Welcome to the third episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. This week, we are reviewing Batman 26, Unholy Grail, number one, Sacred Creatures, number one. And we are also, we got to talk about the Chaken, the Howard Chaken that went over this weekend because it was crazy. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co-host, editor of the comic book section on Monkeys Fighting Robots, Anthony Composto. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and Stitcher for you Android users. Uh, fan- feedback is always welcome and encouraged. Please comment, let us know how you like the show and what we should be reading. And we also have a special segment with one of the comic book writers on Monkeys Fighting Robots, Nick Enquist. He's going to talk about Superman 26. Yeah, he's a big fan of the big two. The big two. Speaking of the big two, let's talk about one of the big twos. Batman 26, The War of Jokes and Riddles Part 2 comes out this week. Yes, it does. Uh, Just to catch anyone up, this is written by Tom King. It's being drawn by Mikkel Janin with art by June Chung. This is exactly what it sounds like. It is Joker and Riddler going to war with each other, Batman caught in the middle. It's kind of his biggest failure. If you're reading the story, this is actually all a flashback. This is him telling Catwoman about like his biggest biggest regret, basically. And we don't really know what that is yet. I don't know if it's just his inaction, but uh, it's it's unfolding slowly. Okay, so this is not this is not real time. This is past. This is about this is I think it's about a year after, like, year one, if we're talking canonically. Uh, It it takes place after the long Halloween, Tom King has said. So he's been Batman a year or two, maybe, at this point. I'm so confused now. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Well, you got the New 52, you got Rebirth, and, like, when did the long Halloween start? Long Halloween, again, that took place about, it was after year one. If you're looking at the breakdown of his history, you had year one, and then you had the Long Halloween. And Scott Snyder's zero year was in there somewhere, too. All right, now I'm confused. Thanks. See? (laughs) All right, all we need to know is that this is like early years of Batman. That's all you need to know. Apparently the early years when he used an axe. Yeah, who doesn't want to see Batman with an axe? Isn't a battering just like a miniature throwing axe, though? Well, that's what I thought. Like, where did he get, like, the old school wooden axe from? It wasn't even, like, an axe that you get, like, in the fire department where it's, like, the red one. Like, I don't know what park they were in, you know, Gotham City Central Park. I don't know. But Batman had, like, an axe from, like, Home Depot or, like, somebody's (laughs) log cabin. Like, how come we didn't have, like, a fireman's axe or a Batman's axe? Now I'm just picturing Bruce Wayne standing in, in line at Home Depot, like, waiting to buy the axe. <laughs> Hurry up! Stop using debit and a chip. <laughs> I gotta fight Poison Ivy. I need this axe. So, Matt, you're, you're relatively, you're just getting back into comics. You're new to this whole Rebirth world. What did what'd you think about this? What did you like about this issue of Batman? Well... Take it back a step further or a little bit fast forward. We met Tom King at at Megacon. And he talked about all the darkness that he loves to talk about. And I was like, oh, 
this is what Tom King was talking about with the darkness and making you so depressed after reading a comic book. And I was like, there's at least 10 murders that are on my hands now because I know all the details about the people that got killed in Batman 26. And that's actually, that's a big part of this is as Batman's telling Catwoman. And that again, I think that might be his regret is just that instead of stopping it, he just, he knows about every single one of these murders. He went and he found like their names, their history. So like, as people are dying, like you said, there's like little captions about their, who they are, their family members, like their, their occupation and stuff. Like he just, Batman and Tom King is spending a lot of time filling you in on, on murder victims here. That's crazy. Again, I now I know what Tom King ta- means when he's talking about looking out the window, the rainy window of depression. Yeah, yeah, and, and it usually works. I mean, it usually works in most of his stories. He does he does a very good, very good, like dark, depressing uh, story, and and it works in Batman too. Usually, I mean, Batman's a character that you can you can go pretty dark with Batman. Yes, yes, you can. Uh, but we just got done talking with Scott Snyder, who's all like hope and optimism with Batman. And I was like, yay! And then I went into this book and I was like, oh, man. You can still have like hope and optimism because hope comes out of the darkness, Matt. Oh, oh. My favorite panel was on page six is the crime scene where Commissioner Gordon and Batman just see the bloody crime scene and it's like the Riddler's question marks all over the place because with Batman and, and when you're a detective like everything means something so it's one of those panels where you just want to like look at every like nook and cranny to see if there's anything you could find to help solve the mystery yeah this was so mysterious all the bloody question marks all over the room I could see just Batman standing there wondering who could have done this well he knows who did it it's what does it mean part of my issue with and i love tom king it's my disclaimer right now i love tom king and i like his batman run a lot uh this was not my favorite issue of batman and i'm really not a huge fan of the way they're portraying the riddler here the riddler to me is a character who he's he's a lot more subtle he's a little he's not so grim and gritty and they even call reference to it in the book like he's not being subtle he's not being witty here he's just kind of being very murderous (laughs) You can easily, this could have been easily transformed into a Joker scene, like with just a few little minor changes. Yeah. I do love the Joker here, though. The Joker in this story is amazing. So. Is the Joker acting like the Riddler in this? No, he's not even really acting like the Joker because he's kind of, he's a depressed Joker. Like, if you go back and read Batman 25, the start of this, I think it's a big part of it is that he's not laughing. He cannot, like, he's lost the humor like he's like he doesn't find this whole thing with batman funny anymore at this point and i think that's that's pretty much why he's doing what he's doing is he's trying to refine the laughter in it there's this great sequence uh where he's like looking at himself in the mirror here and he keeps like pulling his face back like trying to like make him like make faces and make smiles and stuff but he's just really this is not uh I wouldn't even i wouldn't say it's like Heath ledger because it's it's not like that but it's definitely not your jack nicholson joker I didn't even notice that that's what he was trying to do. I was kind of listening to, looking at the dialogue, listening to the dialogue, looking at the dialogue as it happened and trying to break it down. And that's the problem is sometimes reading digital comics is 
if you're I was started reading it on my laptop and you can't go through the whole page. So I was like, oh, there's other stuff going on. But yeah, you can you can totally see him being like, I really want to smile, but yeah. I can't smile. And it's and you it. get a lot of that in Tom King comics. Like it, it's the artist, obviously, that executes that. But in a lot of Tom King comics, you get a lot of grids. You get a lot of like multi-panel pages where it's just kind of moment to moment transitions. Only Tom King could make the Joker depressed. I cannot wait to read his Mr. Miracle comic. <laughs> I, want, I want to see how he makes the new gods depressed. <laughs> oh, man. This was an interesting book. And when did the Riddler start looking like a leprechaun? You know, I have not been a fan of the Riddler design since the new 52. I really wasn't a big fan of the way they made him look in Snyder and Capullo's run in Zero Year. I wasn't a big fan. I don't like like the big sideburns. I love Riddler in a suit, but there's something about this suit with the button down to your pelvis that it's just I'm I'm not a big fan of of the Riddler as a whole in this. And he's one of my favorite villains. So uh, uh, it's not ruining the story for me, but it's not my favorite. Well, that comes to the core of the character. The core of the character is kind of like really put together like OCD because he has all the riddles and everything in place. So to see a disheveled Riddler just doesn't make sense. I don't know, because it, it, it's it's only part two. This The problem with this issue for me is that it was super slow. It was super slow. Like, there, the pacing was just, like, nothing really happened. There was no major events. So it's hard for me to say I'm, I've, I've said it before, I want to see how a story, I want to see a, a complete story before I make a full judgment. So I'm not a huge fan of the Riddler right now. But at the end of the War of Jokes and Riddles, I might say that I love it. I like I I don't know. We're only we're only two issues deep right now, so he could make some huge turnaround. He could do something incredibly awesome in issue three, four, or five, whatever. That makes me say, all right, this is my Riddler now. I don't know. You know, the point of a weekly podcast is that you give us your hot takes today, and then next week when you change your mind, I get to bring that back up. So you can be like, I don't like this, and then you you could be like, you you want a hot take? (laughs) F this Riddler, okay? <laughs> Forget it. Oh, man. Ah, so you're not giving it, like, a, a a lot of monkeys this week, are you? I'll give it three monkeys. I'll give it three out of five monkeys, which is my neutral. I feel like any this is like I feel like anything below three is just, like, I didn't like it. I won't say that I didn't like it. I was just kind of indifferent about it. For me, I mean, just kind of just jumping on to it because like last issue I forgot who spoiled it but I think I la- I read like the last few pages of Batman 25 because it was the proposal issue 24 24 wait yeah. so oh so 20 so 20 what happened in 25 so 24 25 was the start of the Warren Jokes okay so 24 was the proposal and then yeah. didn't somebody say you're gonna have to wait till like September for the payoff of the proposal yeah, because at the end of 24, he proposes to Catwoman. And then he's like, before you give me your answer, before we decide if we're going to do this thing, I need to tell you about my darkest moment. And that's the Warren jokes of riddles. You jokes know, Cat- riddles. Catwoman doesn't care. I, I figured <laughs> she would be there. She should have been there, right? Yeah, no matter what, she would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. You know, I don't. Well, I can just steal diamonds from you. If this is taking place after the long Halloween, we're going to go back to confusing you now i think she was in rome after the long halloween so maybe she was out of the country at this point oh man 
I mean, did hush like, happen? No, not yet. No hush yet. That's later. Hush hasn't happened. Well, no. So, but hush happened in this universe. Yes, because hush has appeared. Okay. Not here, but he has appeared in, like he's he, he was just in All Star Batman recently. I think you're gonna need to just like put everything in order for me one of these days, or I'm gonna have to like email Scott or, or Tom or bug somebody be like, hey, can somebody just put big events in order? Like, where's the killing joke in all this? I think, you know, killing joke was canon, but they've kind of, because Barbara Gordon's out of the wheelchair now. So how can it I be canon it, if she's out of the wheelchair? I, I'm not reading Batgirl, but I guess they, they, they healed her somehow. <laughs> Ah, the pain and agony of reboots. There was a whole there was a whole arc in Batgirl where they dealt with that. I forget if there there, there was a lot of mental agony in there. Like I feel like they like a, they made a big part of it psychological. Yeah, because I think she gets raped by the Joker and her minions. Right, but they 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 don't refer to that <laughs> directly. Uh, but I don't know if they were saying that her paralysis was psychological or there was some psychological impact that she had to work through. Point is that she's she's out of the wheelchair. She's no longer Oracle. But the killing joke has they have made reference to it, I think. Okay, I am going to say this is a middle of the road episode of Batman as well. And I'm going to give it three out of five robots. All right, on par. I don't know. I feel like we're playing golf right now. <laughs> it was good. I'm, again, I'm not going to say it's a bad issue, but like you said, middle of the road. Again, I like the dark stuff. I love like the dark, serious Joker who like takes teeth out of an old lady's mouth and makes a smile out of them. Like That's messed up. How are the Falcones still in these comic books? Like I feel like that's like the most boring crime syndicate family ever. Matthew, Long Halloween. Falcons are very important. We're in the same time period. They have to be there. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Since we can rewrite history anytime we want, I mean, I would... I'll start working on that timeline for you. I know. Somebody's going to pull off the Batman timeline so I can understand (laughs) what the hell's going on. Speaking of new timelines, we have two independent books we want to talk about today. Yes, we do. Up first, we're going to talk about uh, Unholy Grail. This is from Aftershock, and Aftershock's like they're kind of killing it right now. I'm liking a lot of stuff that they're they're doing for a for a small, uh, newer company. Got written by Colin Bunn with art by Mirko Kolak. It's it's kind of a, a it's a King Arthur tale. If you like King Arthur, this is like if a demon took over Merlin's body and raised Arthur. Well, you don't know that that didn't happen in real life. This is very true. This could be this could be a true story. This could be a true story. I, I like Colin Bond. I I think he's a really good writer. I think he's really good when he's dealing with like dark evil stuff. Like his Magneto was a great run. When he does horror, it's really good. I think it's like when he starts writing more upbeat, hopeful stories that he starts to lose me. But but Unholy Grail is not hopeful and upbeat. So. Oh, no, no. I love the concept is super intriguing. The concept that like a demon takes the persona of Merlin and then the whole King Arthur mythos is just a sham. Like this is this is really heavy stuff. It could be yeah. really good. No, it's I I love perverting a classic story 
and like putting a dark spin on it. I love like taking a fairy tale and just making it dark. And I liked it. I like Marco's artwork. I I like this. This has got some good sketch to it. It looks like somebody's like I don't I think I like the uh because like we watched Batman's artwork is very clean. It's very it's a very clean book. And there is a certain amount of photorealism going on with the how they shadow and put the shadows and colors in with Batman, where this one has more of a, a sketch feel to it. And I'm like, ooh, this reminds me of like a Walt Simonson's Thor. Yeah, it works for the story. I I like the art too. I like the sketchy. Again, you say sketch, I go with you know gritty or rough. But my my only problem with it is the faces. Like when they're making expressions, like when they're stagnant, they're fine. The demon is good, but like when someone's like yelling or screaming, like when Merlin's fighting the demon and he starts screaming, like then the then the art loses me. Yeah, but they're everybody's different. I mean, like it's since it's medieval times, like it's you know it's so many different facial ex- type of people coming through from Merlin to to bald guy to angry Game of Thrones people and then <laughs> then Arthur's mom. I mean, like it's it's got some good stuff going on there. And I just this book moved really quick, mm-hmm. and you kind of get the origin or the gist of the concept. But there's nobody that I'm attached to to want to read issue two. Not even Demon Merlin. Well, that's the thing is you gotta wanna you want you gotta wanna like like the demon guy. And I'm usually not leaning towards the demon side of uh, liking the world. See what character wise, I'll agree with you. What what's making me want to read further in this series is uh, that it's nonlinear storytelling, right? So like they start in the future and they kind of jump back and forth and they show you the bleak future. That's what's making me want to read more. Like seeing like the desolate landscape and Camelot torn to pieces and that whole weird thing with the grail at the end. Like that's all making me want to see how do we get, how did we get from here to there? That's what's selling me on issue two. Like the first panel with all the swords in the bottom of the lake where the lady of the lake is. I mean, like it's, it's interesting. Like there's, this demon has brought a lot of death to to the world, and it's uh, we've always been given the perspective of like King Arthur being just and worthy, and and going down the right cause, the right path. To where this is kind of flipping it on its head, and you're like, maybe Arthur wasn't the guy. Like maybe he just brought death and destruction wherever he went, and just was his mind was perverted by the demon. Yeah, well, mate, like you said, maybe that's what's really happened, Matt. You weren't there. I know. know. No, it's a great again, amazing concept. But yeah. when you're when you're throwing down, I don't know how much how much money this book is two ninety nine three ninety nine on a first issue, it really needs to grab you. And like this one didn't grab me and be like, hey, I really want to read issue two. Again, it grabbed me just in seeing the bleak future. I want to see how they get to that point. I want to see like the whole thing with the chair, the mystical magic chair that was a lie. Clearly, because it got that guy at the end. Um, And I think a lot of it's just what you're interested in. If you're interested in mythology and the lore of King Arthur, you're going to be buying this book. Oh, really? Just just throwing money at the wall? You're just throwing money at the wall at this point. Yeah, if you like King Arthur, King Arthur fans just waste money on anything King Arthur related is what I'm trying to say here. I know, man. They're all loaded and they just, you know, 
Hey, yeah. oh, it's King Arthur? Ah, you go. I'll get that. So that that sword looks like Excalibur. Let me buy that. That's crazy. But uh my favorite panel is from on page eight when the demon grabs Merlin and it's like it's a pretty solid design of like a character and it gives me the Walt Simon esque feel. But I also like the way they designed it where it's like framed in, yet the action goes off the panel. Like I like right. that. That was I'm a fan of that. My favorite panel is just a couple of pages after that. It's once the demon is in Merlin's skin and it's just like a close up on his face and he just says like Uther Pendragon. And just like the it's the first panel where you see him fully in Merlin's skin and just seeing the demon like behind Merlin's eyes. Like I like a really like small intense panel like that. It looks like he puts the skin on of Merlin. Yeah, he does. He's just like, oh, this this feels this feels good. I like this. It's this is the good stuff. <laughs> it's very uh, it's very Buffalo Bill. <laughs> the coloring on this was good too, as well, because it's like the demon Merlin has like this like bloody tinge to him, and, and then you see the and they shift they shift the coloring from time period too. Like when you jump to the future, it's a much like I said bleaker color palette than when you're in the present i don't know past or past or present however you want to say it when in the before time it's very bright in the after time very bleak so i like that shift in coloring and i'm trying to figure out is like two panels after the one you're talking about there's like a husk on the ground and is that husk merlin or is that husk from the demon it's weird because it's it's got looks like it's got clothes on See, so now, now you have a reason to keep reading. You said you didn't have one. That's what you now gotta you do. do. You gotta analyze every panel. This is what's going on with these comics, kids. Good stuff. Got little tidbits here and there. Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, I'm gonna give it three point seven five monkeys. Three point seven five. Yeah, because I gave Batman three. I didn't want to give this like three point five. It didn't seem like it seemed like more than that. But I don't know if I would give it a full-on four out of five. I'm giving it three robots because, again, I, it didn't give me enough to want to read issue two. If issue two shows up and just happens, like, I got free time, I might be like, oh, look, I'll check this out. And I might be like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I read this. But right now, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold on it. Sorry, Colin. I do like. I do like what Aftershock is doing. They they got a good talent pool. I mean, they got guys like Colin Bunn and Donnie Cates and Garth Ennis. Like they're putting out good original books. They got and they and they're doing a couple of different books like this where they're taking uh, a a known concept and putting this weird spin on it. So I'm glad to see a company uh, experimenting. Yeah, no, they're pushing out a lot of content. Each week, we want to bring you an interview either from a beat reporter from Monkeys Fighting Robots or a comic creator. This week, we have beat reporter Nick Inquist. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you. I guess I probably should ask you beforehand, but what's your beat, man? My beat. So I kind of I talk a lot about DC and Marvel. Feels like I've been talking a lot about Marvel lately for a lot of decisions that I won't get into. But I like to talk about sort of what's going on in the industry, certain discussions and ideas and i really like to talk about sort of the bigger bigger concepts uh, such as uh, event comics and industry decisions talked a lot about rebirth and how that became a huge success even though everyone was like even including myself had major eye rolls to it and 
really was, was not sure how that was going to work. You wrote an awesome article last week. You need to tell the fans about it. Okay, yes. I wrote an article called The Industry Isn't Changing Over a Bunch of Fucking uh, Homage Covers. I read about Marvel Legacy. It was uh, We have a uh, uh, chat for all the uh, comic beat reporters, and uh, it was just kind of being... I actually woke up late and I sort of saw all these like messages and I was like, Oh, that must've happened. And, uh, something must've happened. I looked through it and I was like, wait, that's all they did. This is what legacy is of like homage covers. That's it. And like, I mean, I'm sure there's something more coming along the line, but like at the moment I was sitting there going, are we all getting pranked? Is this like, is are we all getting punked? Is it Ashton Kutcher about to jump out being like, ha, I got you. And it's like, wait, what? Matt and I spent a good time last week talking about Legacy, and that was one of the very things that we brought up is there was no, like, gotcha moment. Like, it should have been a punked moment. There's, at the very end of the day, there should have been a gotcha, here's the real scoop. Yeah, I, I feel like that way. And here's the thing. I actually don't think the homage covers is a terrible idea if that's what they wanted to do for a variant com- uh, variant month uh, cover. Yeah, sure, that sounds great. I would totally pick up a couple of them. Some of them are really good. The Jessica Jones one I thought was awesome. Uh there's a really good one for uh, Luke Cage and uh, uh, one for Defenders and all these other things. But as I was like sort of sitting there going like, yeah, why? Why is that? Why is this going to change the industry? Because there were a lot of like articles and like their press releases and stuff like this is going to be huge. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I was like, all right, I got to talk about this. So I, I wrote about it and uh, it's been getting some interesting feedback. A lot of people are like sort of playing the, oh, well, you know. They're they're playing the the overly cynical card, and I'm just like, yeah, but come on, guys, this must piss you off a little bit. <laughs> Are there cynics on the internet? I rarely find them, but when I do, <laughs> so let's shift gears and talk about some positive stuff. Superman 26 comes out this week. I'm excited because it's by Mike Marisi, and that's my friend from Chicago. And I remember when we had his first launch party for his first comic book published ever. Uh, I'm super excited to see that he has grown. From just an indie artist if in like 2007 to writing Superman in 2017. Ten years it takes you to write Superman. Talk to us about Superman 26. Yeah, so Superman 26, that's going to be the start of uh, the next arc with uh, Superman. And uh, it just ended with this uh, great storyline called Black Dawn, written by uh, Peter J. Tomasi. And uh, Tomasi's been writing the whole year of Superman. It has been a fantastic series. So I'm really excited to see what the 26 is going to be because I think uh, it's going to be the story about uh, John Kent, uh, Superman and Lois Lane's just adorable son, <laughs> just so upbeat and fun. And they're kind of more of their bonding experiences, which I think has been a great uh, direction for Superman in this past year. Just fantastic, funny stories and just great sci-fi action. Like, I don't know why, like, they're... So many Superman stories lately uh, for and before uh, Rebirth were just like, okay, how does Superman feel about this? How does Superman feel about that? Yeah, he's an outsider. And I'm like, just have him fight dinosaurs on an island, for God's sakes. And then they had a comic uh, where he where he did that as an homage to Darwin Cook and Rebirth. And I'm like, thank you. That's all I was asking for. And, you know, having Superman uh, just re reevaluate his morals and re uh, like sort of reiterate them to his son and watch as we watch him grow up as Superman sort of puts that on there. It's just, it's just great. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how it continues and I'm definitely going to be picking it up because I got to represent Chicago too. So 
I, I was a Connor Kent fan. This was my era of Superboy kind of thing. What is this need for DC to always have a Superboy? I think on paper, it's one of those things that shouldn't work. Like, there really is no need for a Superboy, uh, but it kind of does for some reason. Like, I, w- I also really liked Connor Kent when I was reading uh, Jeff Johns' Teen Titans. That was, like, the first team book I was reading. I was really excited. Like, 12, year olds, 12 years old, picking it up every month. And I think just the idea is that it's interesting to see Superman as a mentoring figure in lots of ways, because despite him being like this man for everybody that like the ultimate person and like the ultimate superhero, it's interesting to sort of see him like, okay, I'm much more emotionally invested in this one person who has similar powers to I do. How do I put them on the right track? Because in so many stories, we've seen Superman either turn evil and, you know, wreck up the place or like, you know, like hold back so much power. And it's like, okay, now there is somebody who can match him but he's a lot younger and he's a lot more emotional because he's a teenager. So I think that idea, that concept is still something that a lot of writers like to work with. And now that it is his son, he has even more emotional investment in him and he wants to see his son turn out right. And that's what was phenomenal about the last uh, Black Dawn. His son is, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but his son is potentially going to become evil at one point. And just to see, like, you know, Superman's world and see Clark Kent go, oh, my God, this person who I love very dearly and I want to see him grow grow up and be a better superhero than I ever could have been is, like, and to see him possibly go to the dark side is is heartbreaking. And as a comic reader, it was heartbreaking to see that as a possibility. And, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm like, oh, it'll all be fine. It's a, it's a monthly comic book. Things have to change, have to, like, you know, there's a status quo that needs to be uh, maintained. But... As I read those like these issues, like oh my god, no, don't turn evil. <laughs> like, Sounds like somebody has a lot of Star Wars influence going on with the Superman book. Yeah. But it was very interesting I, when I was doing my research on the character because I'm just getting back into DC, getting back into Marvel. So we're we're only a few months into my kind of like getting back into the the capes and cowls. This Superboy, he has like the powers of Superman, but he has the personality of Lois Lane. And then he's not raised by Pa and Ma Kent. He's raised by Clark Kent and Lois Lane. You're really changing all those dynamics of what could come out character-wise. And I think that's a really interesting concept. So it's great. It's, it's also really interesting because I really don't like Superman Returns with Brandon Routh. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the movies. Uh, but I really didn't like the whole Superman has a kid storyline i thought that was kind of dumb and then when they announced it with rebirth i was like oh no this is not going to work at all but no it really does work because like i said you know we are seeing superman reiterate his morals and re-examine them through the lens of his son and through that catalyst and it's really great to see his son learn those morals and his son uh try to be the best person he can be uh through superman's influence and it's just great to see Superboy punch Damian Wayne. I don't know why that was the greatest comic panel of all time, but it is just fantastic to see. I kind of want someone to, like, you know, put it on a loop. as just... <laughs> and I like Damian Wayne, but I want to see him get punched. <laughs> That's... They have a great dynamic. Have you been reading the Super Sons comic? It's a really fun comic. 
it's great to see a kid's comic, like a genuine, fun kid's adventure comic be uh, printed. And I just every uh, like, I don't know, it's just so fun to like just laugh at their dynamic, like you said, Anthony, and just their the little adventures they get into. This seems like a it seems like a perfect pitch for a Warner Brothers animated show like uh, for Cartoon Network or something. I would watch the heck out of that. And I, I love watching the the influence that Damien's even having on Jonathan. I mean, in this issue alone, in 26, we see a panel where Clark comes to wake John up and he's already up doing push-ups. He's just like, Damien says, you always have to be ready. Like he's he's becoming like a little mini, uh, well, hopefully he's not becoming a little mini Damien, but he is rubbing off on him clearly. Yeah, and I think uh, the in 25, there was a, a great moment where uh, Damien, like, being the little bastard that he is, like, you know, throws something at, like, uh, uh, at Jonathan, like, can't get him to stop breathing. And, like, he just goes, can't breathe, can't fight. And I'm just like, dude, he's your friend. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> but then you're like, uh, that's Damien Wayne. So I'm loving this run as a whole just because it's a more personal Superman story. Uh, it's not like, you know, action comics where it's a bunch of big fights. And I used, there are some issues, like you said, where they fight dinosaurs and they have some big battles. I love the smaller Superman story where it's focused on him and his family. As a matter of fact, the, the weakest arcs in this title have been the, the bigger ones. I wasn't really a big fan of Black Dawn, to be honest. Uh, but what is it that you think makes like a small Superman story? When you have a character that can do almost anything, what is it that makes like a small, intimate story so powerful and matt you can answer that as well i'm i'm just curious i think so issue seven is my favorite uh uh issue and that's the one where they just go to the carnival and i think what works about it oh well is it is such a small story but it makes superman seem so human like you know there's always that argument oh he's he's too powerful he's not relatable blah 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 and i'm like i mean he can be sometimes but you know i think like when we get down to it superman just a dude He's just a guy, you know, he's always trying to do the right thing, just like the rest of us do. And, you know, he makes mistakes and, you know, he has like little things he enjoys. And one of them is going to the carnival with his wife and son and under strict guidelines of no superheroing. But, you know, he's still got to do it. It only only works with Superman. Like, I don't really well, not only, but it works very well. Like, I don't want to watch Batman go to the carnival, quite honestly. Eh, I, I might want to do it. I, I laughed my head off when Tom King had him uh, eat hamburgers with a knife and fork. <laughs> okay, fine. He would win. Was, Batman would win all the prizes at the carnival. Uh, that that would be very inter- entertaining <laughs> to see. <laughs> I think there's an old Silver Age story where Lois and Clark go to a carnival, and Clark kind of wins all the uh, all the games for Lois, but he has to use his powers without anyone noticing. <laughs> like. <laughs> I love Lois's face in that carnival issue when, you know, she tells him, don't be Superman today. Don't go superheroing. And then she they're on the roller coaster and she hears people talking about like the blur saving people and just her face. <laughs> and if you notice Clark's face, he's kind of like got that like sheepish kind of like, yeah. little, like, <laughs> like, like cowering away. I'm just like, yep. Lois Lane always knows. Nick, thank you for your time. How can people find you on social media? Uh, best way to find me on social media is Twitter uh, with my handle is Nick Nax and it's Nick N-I-C-K, Nax K-N-A-C-K-S, and then and and then underscore between all the words. What else are you reading this week, Nick? Let's see. This week I'm going to be reading uh, Green Lanterns. I love that series. Batman. Uh, I'm really excited about Tom King. Tom King's uh, War of Jokes and Riddles. It's that is that is a comic series. Um 
I'm also going to be reading uh, whatever else Secret Empire turns out for some of their crossover stuff. Not exactly excited about it, but I'm reading it. Uh, and I'm also going to be reading, uh, let's see, I believe All-Star Batman, Batman comes out next week. Awesome. Talk to you next month. See ya. All right. Sounds good. See you guys then. Is book number three your favorite book of the week? It might be. It, you know, I and I wasn't expecting it to be. So I, I almost wasn't sure uh, how it was going to turn out. But I think just the surprise factor. Yeah, I'll say it's my pick of the week. Absolutely. And we are talking about Sacred Creatures, number one from Image by Klaus Janssen and Pablo Ramondi, uh, which is it's a horror story. Would you call this a horror story? I'd call it a horror story. Um, do you put Constantine in the horror in the horror genre? Yes, you do. So this is a horror story. Um, we have a guy, it's like an everyday guy who's kind of down on his luck, and you have some some creatures that look human. I don't think they are though, and they're they're messing with him. They're tearing his life apart for some reason for their own personal gains. And that's what I like about this actually. This issue is that you don't really know fully what's going on. Yeah, you have no you have no clue what's going on. And then it's a really you have the fantasy element to this book, which is over the top. But then you they bring it down to a real level with the main character's life just falling apart. And you're just like every twist and turn, you're like, fuck, stop, just stop, just stop. And it just keeps oh, going yeah. worse and worse and worse. And it, 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 it tugged at me. It tugged at me for a little bit. It talked to me too, that poor man, especially his relationship. Like even the whole job interview thing sucked, but his, his relationship drama, that was making me just like, oh, why, why are they doing this to you? You poor, poor man. And to just see the setup that comes through and it, it's, uh, you're kind of going through it with this person because you don't have really any information. You ha The only information you have is, is from the main character and then from like the police officer's perspective. Yeah. Those are the so two I, perspectives. I love the story structure of this book. I love how like we start at the, at the, towards the end where like, you know, the actions happen and then we're jumping back, we're jumping forward, we're jumping back and forth. It was very Pulp Fiction-y and I love books that do this and you get it a lot from indie books, a lot from Image where like they're trusting their audience. They're not holding your hand and saying, okay, we're in the past now and now we're in the future and now this is why this happened. They're just telling you this like messy story and they trust that you will put it together. I, I don't think that. I don't think I put it together. I don't think it's still crazy. Well, there's still elements missing. It's only issue one, but I thought that they did a really good job just kind of like weaving what they have together. And this is like 66 pages for, don't quote me, four ninety nine or five ninety nine. Yeah, it's an oversized book. Uh, but you you get three issues in the first issue, but I'm trying to think if you could cut anything out of this book to make it still work as an individual issue, and I wouldn't know where to cut it, so I understand why it's this giant issue starting off. You could... I mean, you would lose some of the stuff that I was just talking about, but you can cut out some of the future stuff, like some of him running around the city with the priest. Like, if you just start at the beginning where, like, he runs out of the building covered in blood, the priest, like, falls from the ceiling, and then they just go back and tell the whole backstory, you, they could have done that. And then just, like, issue two could have been, like, you know. The jumping on point of, like, yeah. the actual book and everything. Right. So crazy. They introduce... 
a mass amount of characters. And they don't really reveal who people are. Like, you know, certain people have. Well, I think they all have the same power except for the old lady, but they're all manipulators. Yeah, they're all kind of they're demons they're devils, which kind of almost makes sense when you get to the ending or all the, the angels. Or well, yeah, so you angels. get to the end and you have the, the dead angel at the end. I th- no, they're demons. They gotta be demons. Fallen angels? Isn't that all that demons are? No, 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 no. I don't think so. That's what Satan is. Well, he's he is a, but he's not a demon. He's Satan. I mean, Santa Claus is still an elf, right? Just a bigger elf. Just the leader of the elves. Does he have Vulcan ears? I don't think so. Depends on the movie you watch. I don't know. No, no. Santa Claus is not. Santa Claus has normal ears. Santa Claus is a is a human that has been gifted the opportunity to bring joy to the world. Okay. Well, we're we're getting off topic. Here. Didn't you watch <laughs> Santa Claus Part One, Two, and Three? Which is that the, the Tim Allen movie? Yeah, the Tim Allen movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did not. Didn't he have pointy ears? No, he didn't have pointy ears. He just got fat and got a beard. (laughs) (laughs) How did we get here? How did we get here? Well, that's the wormhole of sacred creatures, man. We don't know what's going on. And we don't know if they're demons or if they're angels or fallen angels or gods or wherever they are. And then there's like a creepy Damian Wayne leader of the pack. Man, if if we can get this kid together with the little girl from Black Magic last week. Oh, man. Then we have a book. <sighs> so you your whole thing is a book has to sell you on the next issue. Yes. Did this sell you on Sacred Creatures issue two? Well, with this book, there is so many questions of characters. And you have met characters like. Unlike the Unholy Grail, you you kind of met Merlin very quickly and and then you kind of met like Arthur really quickly and you kind of, I guess we're assuming that people know the story all, but there's no character where you really are attached with to where with sacred creatures, they introduce all, I'm going to call them fallen angels. They introduce all the fallen angels very well and there is a different dynamic with each one of them. Uh, as since they're family, so you you you've you've picked that you could pick out your favorite evil people, and then you have the cop, uh, then you have the main character, and then they introduce the priest at the end. So I mean, like there are lots of characters for you to get a grip on, or them to get a grip on you, to where you're like, oh, now I care about these people, and I want to see what happens next. Like the girlfriend who's pregnant, and she's gonna have a kid in like three weeks. So is the answer yes, the soldier on issue two? Yeah, because I got to see what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's intrigue. I'm not a fan of the photorealism backgrounds. Why not? Because it then looks out of place when you put a cartoon character on top of them. Have you ever read Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud? I have not. It's a great book, and any comic fan should read Understanding Comics, and it just it breaks down the medium. And there's a whole 
segment where he actually talks about just that, about taking like cartoon characters and putting them on a very realistic background. And the the reasoning for that is that you have a cartoon character, the less distinct character that you have, the more a reader can identify with that character. Mm-hmm. So that's the reasoning for making a cartoon character. If you make the background realistic, now they're identifying with the character and you're putting them in a in an atmosphere, in an environment that they can also uh, connect with. Tell me more. <laughs> so so you, you put so you're putting a photorealistic background in there and you're putting the reader in that situation. It's just in, in a book like this, it's just more we've talked about it already. It's more and more putting you in the shoes of this of this poor, poor man. Um, I think it's, and I apologize to everyone out there that had, that uses this as a way of expressing their art. I, it's, it's fine. It's a stylistic choice. I don't like it. I, it, to me, it comes off lazy, uh, with this, with this being a image book or an independent book, I thought the, the lettering needed some improvement as well. Like it looked, it looked amateur to me the lettering of it. And then with the, with the backgrounds, you know, that kind of makes it a little, a little amateur esque. And then, um, one of the main guys, the guy, I think it's the guy interviewing the main character. He looks like Alan Cummings. And then, uh, the, he does look like Alan Cummings. And then you have the uh, secretary of state who that's, uh, Dijman Henzu. And then there's like one picture of the police officer where he looks like Bruce Willis. So whoever was drawing this was taking facial recognition from things and trying to bring them off. And because I'm looking at another panel, the priest, and he looks like the guy from Homeland or the guy from um, Band of Brothers. Okay. You know, where you're just going through the panels and I'm like, okay, what did he... Where is he getting these influences from? I mean, my favorite panel is where the priest jumps through the air and looks like Spider-Man. And I was like, I've seen that pose a million times by Spider-Man. And like, So you say Spider-Man? To me, that felt very Dark Knight Returns, too. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on what the, the height. When your knees are almost at your shoulders, that's always Spider-Man to me. Uh, I, I mean, I'll back you up on that because, I mean, I just defended the photorealistic backgrounds a little bit. But the, the art was my least favorite part of this book. They just there was something off about the whole thing, but that's also just a testament to the story being good enough to keep my attention despite the art um, being you know just left of center. I'm trying to I'm going back to the beginning of the books. I want to say because if I, you look I do at the, know why that guy looked so much like Alan Cummings, so he, right. he, he did when I was reading it. I thought the same thing. But if you look at the lettering in Unholy Grail, like it's stylized, it's done, it's got a lot of feel and emotion to it. And then if you go to the lettering in Sacred Heart, it's just very generic. Sacred Heart. I I even Googled Sacred Heart Image Comics and like some other comic book came up. But Sacred You've been watching Scrubs or something? I know. Sacred Creatures, it just the the lettering just kind of looks generic at best and doesn't really it's not adding to the story like some good letterers do. And you know, it's it's okay. It's a it's a beginner. It's not a beginner book. It's a it's on Image Comics. It's it's a professional book, but it's. But it'd be weird though if the lettering was kind of more, you know, sketchy. And because in a, in a book like Unholy Grail, where the art is sketchy, 
and that's the tone of the book. It makes sense. In a book like this, the art is kind of more conventional as well. So it'd be weird if you had like this conventional artwork and then had like really scratchy, horrific lettering. Would, I'm not would, saying I'm not saying gel. scratchy, horrific lettering, but what I am saying is that since every there's so many different personalities in there, if the main character he had the traditional thought bubbles and lettering and then each fallen angel or demon had a different style to it. Like you would know the fan, you know, the reader would be like, Oh, this is this. It, it just add. it's, it's almost like the score in a movie. Yeah. You know, the score could, could add a lot or it could, you know, if, if you, if you go too far, you could take away from it, but the score really can either add to it or not really play a factor. Okay. And I would love to see if if these demons if these aren't their true forms and if they did, you know, transform into something else, I would love to see the lettering reflect that as well. Uh I am going through it now and you got those weird giant cat creatures that are chasing after them. Right. The, those sound effects that bothers me that the lettering is super conventional on them. So like when they're hissing and roaring and stuff like that, that lettering should have been a lot more uh experimental that that is kind of a bummer that that's so straight it's only issue one it is only issue one maybe they'll maybe they'll they'll listen to this podcast and then they'll they'll change it down the line you know me trendsetters that's that's what i love to do (laughs) but it's it's a tough it's a tough thing and i mean like just this is the cool thing when you just like analyze and break down panels on everything and i was like oh that's central park when i first read it i didn't see central park because i was so focused on the story but then when I read it a second time, then I start analyzing panels. And then when I read it a third time, then I'm like, okay, what other elements are in here? What are the other things that I don't see or I didn't see in the first two times reading it? And then go from there. Because I do, whereas I don't like the photorealism of the background, I am a huge fan of the way they set up the Central Park scene where the guy's down on his luck and he's all depressed and it's, the park bench and everything and and you just see you know the fallen angel and the main character and how the the perspective changes and and just the park bench always stays the same and and the movement and the conversation like it's done really well like you can it's it's very cinema-esque in the cuts yes i'll agree with you again felt very um pulp fictiony kind of Okay, I didn't I didn't feel a pulp fiction but I'm not more in, not in tone, not in tone at all or story at all, but just cinematically speaking. Cinema it it's a very cinematic book. It's a very cinematic. I think, I just, I think I'm just going to pulp fiction because of the non-linear storytelling, but That's fine. How many monkeys? Uh four. I'll say four monkeys. Four monkeys? I'm hard to please this week. I'm getting a 3. Seven five robots. You're hard to please every week. Hoo-ha. Very tough, tough creator. Ooh, is, is this Al Pacino? Did we get Al Pacino <laughs> yeah, on the podcast? Got a, little, got a little Al Pacino on the podcast. Only oh, took wow. only took week three. It's an honor. It's an honor, Mr. Pacino, sir. You like to call this industry news. I like to call it my soapbox. Ooh, who are you, Stanley? <laughs> getting on, getting on soapbox. I'm getting on. Should we just call the segment Stanley Soapbox? I mean, no. Did no, he copyright it? You, you're the one. You're the one who's going to get that email from Marvel, not me. 
No, I want the email directly from Stan. I want the cease and desist directly from Stan. Be like, stop using my name in your soapbox segment. I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll uh, we'll make the judgment call, and we'll see next week if we uh, if we if that sticks. It's so funny because with Stan Lee, like he's a hundred years old. But the funny thing is, is like when I went in that conference call with Stan Lee, as soon as he started talking, I was like six years old, and it was like. 1981 all over again as soon as he starts talking it's the same it's the same stanley from 1981 that it is in 2017 the same exact guy there's no words man like it, it it's incredible for a man of his age to just still be kicking it that same way and still be riffing and doing interviews and panels and cons i mean it it, it defies logic it's crazy and i love him for it uh and then someone who's a little bit behind Stanley, Howard Chaikin. He just a little, just a little bit behind Stanley. A little bit behind. I mean, age-wise, that's what's age-wise. Oh, okay. Like, okay. I mean, he's he's definitely he was creating in the seventies and the eighties. Uh, Stan was creating in the forties, so he's a little bit behind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Shake and Shakedown is is in full effect uh, over at Image Comics. Gotten a little, gotten a little hot water recently. Uh, I saw the cover, and I, I, I'm i at an impasse on this one because I've seen Walking Dead covers that are 10 times worse. And then also, I, don't, I know you really want to jump in on this one, uh, the Savage Dragon cover that came out yesterday. I was like, oh, nobody's up in arms about this one? I'm, I'm also at an impasse. As far as the Walking Dead covers go, that's you're talking zombies, you're talking fiction that's you can't it's incomparable because the the divided states of hysteria it's supposed to take place in our world so if it was a zombie hanging from a noose sure it's a zombie it's not real but having a real person hanging from that noose that that's where the trouble comes and i'm at an impasse too on it because art should not be censored I, I don't think that we should be censoring art at all. And also, it's the nature of this book, right? This book is supposed to show us the the messed up future that we're heading for uh, if if we stay on the path that we're on right now. And it's supposed to, like, emphasize and blow up our current political climate. So I see exactly what Chaikin was trying to do. I mean, it's, it, and it's the purpose of the book. It's the exact. It's not like you're putting it on, you know, Batman or something like that. You know, you're putting it on a book that is about these things. On the same sense, I mean, you got to have a little bit of taste, right? A little bit of taste and a little bit of tact before you go and do something like this. But I've seen ten times worse with zombies, though. Well, I mean, I'm not talking. Like, about, I'm talking about zombies, but I'm just talking in general. Like there has been. <sighs> this is where I, I kind of go back to owning a comic book store and. Would I have stocked the book? Probably not. Would it have sold? Probably not. Like, I'm trying to figure out what the point of this is. Is Chaikin is trying to like, he's trying to rally the le- the left. I think he's trying to rally the left or spur the left of like, hey, shit's bad, you know. Like, and guess what? You were lazy, and Trump's in office, and this is what you get. And like, this is potentially what could happen. And he's going to extremes to just, like, light a fire up there. And he's doing everything possible that, you know, he thinks, 
you know, a Trump-esque president would do or some crazy thing like that would do. Um, yet the left is all mad at him for doing all these things that are not nice to people. But he's not. I mean, it's artwork. It's artwork. Yeah. And I'm trying to be sensitive to the people who are offended because, again, me and you, we are two straight white men. Yes. So, like, so we, you know, we don't feel uh, you know, the same way that a lot of these minorities feel. And we can't identify with a lot of the feelings that they identify with. But from from two art appreciators, from two comic appreciators, yeah, it it's a comic cover we've seen a lot worse. It's in line with the book. I never want to, again, I just said, I never want to see art censored. They did pull the cover, whether that was right or wrong. They did pull the cover, but now you're still not pleasing people because now people are saying, well, why didn't you pull the last issue where you had transphobia displayed? Like, and so people are now upset about that. So like, you, you can't, you can't, you're not pleasing people by doing this, by pulling the cover by not even, they didn't apologize. They, they pulled the cover. That, apolo- they, that, they that, that was, it was a statement and it was, it was not apology. And, and this is interesting because I don't know the mechanics behind working at Image Comics. We've only talked with a few creators here and there. But Image really isn't... Image is a publishing house. It's not like everybody lives in the same universe. Savage Dragon is not in the same universe. Spawn, or everybody is all in a different world. It's like, it's like going after Warner Brothers for publishing a book by one person and blaming Warner Brothers for everything that was published in that book because they don't really do everything but again the censorship thing really bothers me it really bothers me and it's it's okay to disagree with something and it, and it's okay to have a discussion about it that's that's my thing is i wish there was more of a discussion about these problems as opposed to just the gut reaction that it needs to come down like it yeah. need you know like it, it, there's no learning moments in these times it's just gut reactions because that's what the book should be doing, right? It should be creating discussion and getting people talking about it. So instead of instead of the book coming out and people saying like, "Oh my god, that's horrible imagery. Let's take that down." People should be saying, "Well, what's this book about? Like what's it talk and, and it should start the discussion of, "Well, our country's on this path. This is our future. If we stay on this path, blah 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 blah." Um I think a lot of the people who jumped down the throat of this cover and started freaking out about it probably didn't take the time to look into it and see what the divided states of hysteria was about. They probably just saw the cover and flipped. Uh, so I think context has, has a lot to do with it. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, and again, I don't want to defend. I don't want to be pro or I don't want to, I don't want to censor a book. I don't want to censor a book. That's uh, I don't want to censor artwork. I'm with you on that one, but I also understand that people are upset and I don't want to offend anybody on that end too. Do you think this book would get as much criticism if Chaykin wasn't an asshole? I mean, yeah, if you if you put a cover like that out, I think it's going to make some noise. Um, I think honestly, this could be like the best thing this, that that could have happened to this book because people are talking about it, and you're going people are going to be buying it now because oh no, it's getting pulled, but people would have been buying it, and people will be buying it now because it's become a controversial title. But no, I don't think I don't think people will be talking about this book otherwise. It's not that good. <laughs> I don't think people would be talking about it if, if there wasn't this like shock art value to it. Right. And that, well, that's what Chaykin brings to the table. That's what he, he's a shock artist. It's him being an asshole. Like you said, that is, that's blowing this up because the cover came out and then, or even the transphobia thing, you know, a month ago came out and then it's his statements about it that are 
blowing it up bigger and bigger and bigger. It's him coming out and making all of these statements that people are like, oh, how could he say something like that when he doesn't know? Yeah. And we met him. We had conversations with him. And, like, he hates the tree huggers. I mean, like, it's, I mean, again. He shook he, me down for a dollar. Right. We've had little conversations with him. And he doesn't, he doesn't hold anything back. He is full-blown Howard Jakin the whole entire time. He's going to give you every bit of his attitude towards you and his persona and what his likes and dislikes are. And you know where everything is on the surface. And part of me likes that in a person because then I know, like, oh, you're an asshole, like, right away. Or you're not an asshole right away. It's it's where it's the, the, the deceptive assholes are the ones I have an issue with. No, 100% agree. I mean, we, <laughs> I was about to say we have one in office right now, but I don't know how deceptive he is. Yeah. And I mean, that, <laughs> this podcast isn't supposed to be as political as we're making it, but it's, it's the shake and shakedown that's. Uh... It's hard to talk about the divided states of hysteria without getting a little political. Yeah. But hopefully next week we will have less political conversation. Right. Hi, Anthony. You have a good week and enjoy your comic books. You too, my friend. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeyspiderrobots.com. That's Sergeant Deegan to you, poser! There are so many people that made the third episode of the comic show on Monkey Spiding Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Composto. Thank you, true believers. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey Spiding Robot logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots.